bum bum bottom 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 bum b
meetings beforehand, Zoom calls beforehand, and we built it up in our minds into this gargantuan task. And because we had all these slides and all this exclusive art that we had to go over, all these release dates that we had to hit, Lisa and I could not just wing it. Thank God for Greg Katzman. He is the senior PR guy over at IDW. He created this opportunity for us, and he made it his mission to help us noobs feel prepared to do this. He like held our hand through the whole thing. Another thing we were contending with like was our own expectations because we love Comic-Cons, we love panels. We love the Ninja Turtles. And we've been to a ton of panels and we know what we like in a panel. We wanted something high energy, we wanted something that was like celebratory, and we wanted to make sure that every single individual on the panel felt seen and heard and appreciated. When Lisa said, I think we should write a script, I went, I think you're right. <laughs> Because normally I would resist such a thing because I am the type of, you know, interviewer, panelist who wants to go in there with like a vague idea of what they want to ask and then just go wherever the conversation goes. And that's not Lisa's strategy. Lisa no. always has, you know, 20 questions for 20 minutes of uh, interview time. And I think between the two of us, we make for a great, you know, creator corner conversation, yeah. which is how we approached our one-on-one -on -one or our two-on-one with Kevin. Kevin Eastman, but when you have 10 people on a panel and 27 slides to get through, and you have to hit minute marks, right? Because like Jeff Rose coming in at the last 15 minutes, so that means like, you know, a certain set of questions have to be 15 minutes each. Like, you can't wing that. You gotta go with Lisa's script. I have a very real fear of the blank, where you're standing up in front of a lot of people and all of a sudden you have nothing to say and you just start grasping for something inane. Brad, one of your gifts is that you are <laughs> you never run short of ideas. You know what I mean? You it's always have somewhere curse, to go. Lisa. But I think that that is one of the things that makes you kind of resistant to a script is you don't like the idea of being obligated to say what is on it. It's and part of my rebel tendencies. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, like I go like my script is my parachute. I do still improvise all of the time where I go like, okay, this question, they said this thing, this question isn't appropriate anymore. Maybe I could spin it this way or that way. So like to me, the script is there to rescue me. But if I don't need it, then I don't use it. And what we found was because we marked out time on the script which was my idea which was lisa's brilliant idea we knew if we were going too fast or too slow during the course of the panel and when we were writing that script we went home we left the con early on friday and we spent about four hours working on the script and when we were done with the script we got done around midnight when we got done with it uh lisa said this is way too long. Mm -hmm. We're, this is too much information. This is These are too many questions. These are too many slides. And we were like, oh gosh, uh, you know, we'll just see, like, we'll have to cut questions. We can do that. We can, we can flip through slides quickly if we need to. But then on the day when we start the panel off, and you'll hear this, we actually get through our first round of slides far quicker than we thought we were going to. So then it became a, a moment where it's like, oh, 
we do need to improv. We do need to come up with some extra questions on the spot. And we avoided talking over each other for the most part, I think, by using our tried and true tap system. So regular listeners probably have already heard us describe this, but when we are on a Zoom call with a creator, we're both sitting in front of the same camera. So when we want to take turns to speak underneath the table, we tap each other. So like two taps means I have something to say. Poke means you please say something. And so we did that. I have no idea how it looked from the audience. <laughs> I don't think you could tell. Because it was behind a podium. And that podium was wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, a lot of the skills we've built just sitting in our little, like, love nest actually applied to doing a panel, which might seem obvious to you, but it was a surprise to us. And halfway through the panel, I knew it was going well, and I was, one, relieved and thrilled. It was an exhilarating experience. This is absolutely my favorite panel that we've ever done at any kind of con, and I would like to do more panels like this one. Yes, please. So if you are an artist or a publisher or a publicist listening to this episode, and you are looking for moderators, call Comic with couples counseling as soon as possible. We're at most cons, you know, so just see if we're going to a con and uh, we'll help you out. We put a ton of effort into this panel and we're so grateful that we took the time because it turned out really well and we're totally exhilarated with how it went. And of course, of course, we're going to publish it in the podcast feed, <laughs> even if the only recording we have is from our like handheld Zoom recorder. But the audio quality is listenable. It's, it's better than listenable. It's good. It's just not as good as it would be if we were recording directly from the board. And it's such a good time to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. That's how we kick off this panel. You have a really rad ongoing series that is reaching a milestone with 150. We're on the road to 150, the conclusion of Sophie Campbell's run. And we have Saturday Morning Adventures. We have so many crossovers. The Stranger Things crossover, the Street Fighter crossover, both are really rad. We have The Last Ronin 2 coming up in February. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem just came out. It's streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The Art of Book is also out right now. We picked it up. It's gorgeous. We talk about that with Jeff Rowe on the panel. Highly recommend it. We have clearly drank the ooze. We are like going at our turtle love with a completest mentality. We are reading all of it. We are watching all of it. But if it's not all to your taste, if you just love your Saturday morning cartoons or you just love the grittier turtle stuff, there is a turtle story out there for you specifically. What's so cool about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is that almost from the very beginning, reinvention was baked into its DNA. You know, you had the Mirage comics from Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. They were turned into toys and cartoons. They were then turned into a movie. And each time it went into another medium, something was added. Like a little bit of new creativity was injected into the idea of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then that just kept going since 1984, you know, with the next round of comics, with the Archie books, with the next round of movies, with the next round of cartoons, with IDW. About a week before Comic-Con, we had the opportunity to talk Mutant Mayhem with Kevin Eastman, and that idea and spirit of reinvention is where we start our conversation with him. And you can hear that that theme 
carries all the way through to our panel. Yeah, and Mutant Mayhem, right, does a lot of new stuff mm -hmm. with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it leaves them in a really interesting place. And if you have not watched the movie, you probably want to do so before you listen to our chat with Kevin Eastman, because we ask him about Mutant Mayhem's ending directly right because it's such a departure from what we've gotten before and we get to hear how he initially reacted to it and what he thinks about it today so the structure for the rest of this episode is this first we will talk to kevin eastman two-on-one talking about mutant mayhem and then that will lead directly into our panel at new york comic-con with all those rad people but before we can even get to that we have to talk about our new segment referrals Sponsored by Omnibus. And Omnibus, for those that don't know, is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their new next favorite book. They feature top tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. I don't know about you, Lisa, but this referral segment for me, finding that right comic to pair with Ninja Turtles, was kind of difficult because I had so many options and I was fighting so hard not to do a referral about Usagi Yojimbo because we talk about Usagi Yojimbo all the time right now and I want to do it, but I'm not going to refer it even though this is kind of like a referral right here. Though uh, Usagi Yojimbo is totally on Omnibus. Uh, just look under Dark Horse. Ice and Snow number one is one of my favorite recent Usagi books. Mm. It's so good. Slipping a little b -b -b bonus Yeah, Lisa, I'm a cheater. Just give us our tried and true. What is your real referral? No, you go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, my referral, they're green. They're mean. They have a sense of fraternity that bonds them, and they feel responsible for each other. They are the orcs in space uh, from you, Oni Press. When you say orcs in space, are you hearing it the same way that I am? As, as pigs in space? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Pigs in space. <laughs> orcs in space. Great pick. Why, thank you. You know how much I love it. love this book. We've had writer Michael Tanner and artist Francois Vigneault on the pod in our Patreon feed, I think. We have, yes. And we appear as orcs we in do. the last issue of the book, which is my personal uh, Twitter profile pick. And I have had my orc as my profile pick as well, but I have since commissioned other art that makes me way prettier than an orc. And I'm vain, <laughs> first and foremost. But how, for me, Orcs in Space relates to the Ninja Turtles is that Gore, Kravis, and Mongtar all have these distinct personalities that you would think would make them clash, but because they have become this kind of isolated, found family, they have found a way 
to continue to function despite their their like varying differences in principles and stuff. Uh, imagine the Enterprise landing in Middle Earth and then being overrun by orcs, and then those orcs steal the Enterprise and go off and cause chaos in space. And that's the basic premise of the book. You don't have to delightful. imagine it because you can read it. It's called Orcs in Space. <laughs> and um, the first volume centers around Kravis, who always felt like an outsider amongst the orcs. He was not so much into the smashy, smashy violent stuff. And once he's on this ship... He befriends Donna, who is the AI. And to me, it's really a story about finding yourself through others, like by expanding your horizons and expanding your social group, you can truly find yourself. And um, it's just a really beautiful story. I love that pick and I love the reasoning behind that pick. For my referral, I did not necessarily think about the themes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and what connected them. I went with something that was a little bit more just radical and of the era of the original Turtles or close to the era of the original Ninja Turtles. Uh, I'm picking Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot by Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow. A new edition has just come out from Dark Horse Comics and is available on Omnibus. And, you know, Frank Miller obviously was a huge influence on Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. Ninja Turtles spins directly out of his Daredevil run. And it just felt fitting to like go like to refer something back to mm, Frank Miller. Like a full circle moment. Absolutely. And Jeff Darrow, his art is unlike anybody else on the planet. If you're a Matrix fan, you definitely know his name, but he's also the cartoonist behind Shaolin Cowboy and Hard Boiled, also with Frank Miller. But Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot is just a fun monster comic. It is absolutely radical. It is totally tubular. It is hyper detailed. It is about uh, this giant reptile destroying Tokyo and Rusty the Boy Robot, who is basically an Astro Boy stand-in, fails to defend Tokyo. So they send in the big guy, this mech suit. And the, the big guy and Rusty team up to take down this terror. And it's just a glorious sit. You know, you look at this comic, you read it, but then you just hang out on these pages and it's just so engrossing. You want to read this one slowly. You want to look at every corner of every panel. Which you can totally do on Omnibus. You just pinch and zoom. You can get into all those nooks and crannies. And you can do the same thing for Orcs in Space too. Uh, both are available on Omnibus right now. There are links in the show notes to both of these referrals. Please give them a look. And go hang out on the Omnibus shop. There is so much going on over there right now. A bunch of really rad cartoonists and creators and publishers can be found there. Uh, we're having a great time with it ourselves. It's not a subscription so you can just go in there browse and then just leave like we want. said walk in as if it was a comic book store referrals and on that beautiful note I think we need to get to our conversation with Kevin Eastman talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem and the history of reinvention that's baked into the DNA of the franchise, which will roll right into our New York Comic Con panel, TMNT, the next mutation of turtle power from IDW Publishing. Kevin, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. 
<laughs> so nice to be here with you guys again. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure. Congratulations on an incredible year. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, Last Ronin 2 getting announced. Uh, Lisa and I have been in a massive deep dive of uh, Ninja Turtle uh, mania this past year. And one of the things that we really have been contemplating is how reimagining adaptation uh, that is baked into the DNA of this brand, of these characters. Uh, when you reflect back on your long path with the Ninja Turtles, what contributions from other collaborators have been additive to the Ninja Turtle idea, do you think? Well, there's, there's quite a few. And, and I think, the, um, you know, anything that we've done with the Turtles isn't, you know, that kind of multiverse um, uh, approach in different timelines and in different periods. You know, it's something that we was in our DNA growing up, you know, reading, you know, all kinds of Marvel and DC comics and things where you think like, you know, one time, how many, how many different versions of Peter Parker, Spider-Man were there, you know, different age levels and things. And um, so when we were lucky enough to have not only the black and white comic and that evolved into the much younger kid show. And then I feel like the, the movie was somewhere in the middle it was kind of like we had these, universes and we were pulling from creative uh influences not only from past but also some of the people we were working with um you know uh the uh, the writers and the artists that brought ideas to bear in the in the in the turtles cartoon series were were fantastic you know we expanded the universe uh not only for toys but um you know we went into the archie comics and and again you know we had the mutanimals that were added there were so many different aspects that built this universe off the foundation that you know Peter and I originally constructed, it was definitely influential um, and and definitely um, you know certainly when I look at like say the IDW universe or even the 2012 series, some of the more recent series, which seemed to me picked from multiple turtle universes to build a new universe to tell stories from. So all those characters are brought back in one form or another, some very original, some reinvented, um, and also expanded on those ideas. So yeah. It's a uh, very timely and, you know, not only for pop culture references and things like that, but it's definitely we pulled uh, ideas from everywhere for all things turtles. And, and that really was the fun stuff. And was that something you were always comfortable with or have you had to get comfortable with that idea of uh, of people contributing new ideas to the turtles? Well, it, it, again, reflecting back to uh, what's cool about it is reflecting back to, say, you know, I was a huge fan of Daredevil um, growing up um, the Marvel Universe or X-Men or, you know, numerous other characters and, and Batman um, that you saw different creative teams bring different ideas and different aspects to that character. Some you like more, some you like less, um, some were sillier, some were more intense, uh, more inventive. And so the formula of um, different people bringing ideas, their ideas to a more, you know, say a central character was was it a new thing. So we weren't like, you know, inventing the wheel or anything like that so when we would have different uh people approach us with an idea for a turtle story um uh um you know a great example is the um you know again the cartoon series when david wise and patty howarth came in and they said well we're writing for a much younger audience but we like parts of this idea and parts of this idea and we're going to bring in some of our own ideas here and and sort of meld this into this blender and 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 and, and take them out that way so it wasn't jarring at all and we had full approval over all that stuff not only the comic books when when creators brought fresh ideas and we approved them to you know be incorporated into the the mirage studio storyline but the um uh, things like the cartoon series which was much more expansive as well so it's fun yeah 
the last time you were on with us, you described your career like the Ninja Turtles were your car, but it it was the fans who held the roadmap. You didn't know how long and how far that was going to go. And I wonder, like, are you ever nostalgic for those no map years where you were kind of like unobserved and, and you had no path before you? Or was the dream always to strike gold with uh, beloved characters and um, a beloved and, fan base. Yeah. And, and letting that kind of guide your career. Well, you know, it was um, a little bit more um, uh, simple and maybe even um, um, uh, I want to say we're trying to find the right S- simple and naive, maybe um, because it was, you know, the, the original purpose of the dream, the original pursuit of the dream was um, just to, in fact, write and draw and tell stories. We were huge, both Peter and I, we're huge fans of Jack Kirby to name just one of many that we had as influences. And it wasn't like um, uh, what we loved about the work was not that they created ideas um, specifically for the fans, um, but there was an element to that, but they created popular ideas that they wanted to read. So the stories were very interesting to them, I think as well as, you know, they wanted to keep their job. And for us, we went in a little bit more naive and, and with those stories, it was just, we were a fan first. Um, uh, and so we would sort of look at the other side of the counter, so to speak, in a comic store, or the other side of the rack and go, well, this is what we'd like to read. And we'll put that into our story. And if it works, you know, we're, we're writing to our kind. Um, and so that was the guiding principle. And, and as you move further into your career and further into storytelling, um, you really have to be careful um, not to pander to the fans. And I, and I mean that in a, in a very polite sense is that, again, putting myself as one of them, you want to write stories that work for you as a fan and hope it resonates with them. Um, and I always say, you know, fans will decide, you know, um, what's cool and what's not cool, what they're going to read and what they're going to not read. And when they've had enough, you know, suddenly, you know, they've had enough turtles and they're moving on to something else. And we were lucky to have them, you know, for the time that we did. So, um, and so it's a, it's a bit of a knife's edge, um, you know, uh, even, you know, going through the IDW universe, you know, Tom and I never said, hey, let's kill off a character because we think it might sell more comics. Uh, let's do something here because we think it's this. We planned our stories and our story arcs as um, events that were exciting that, you know, if we were buying these books, these are the kinds of things we'd like to read. And you got to kind of let that guide you as a, as a, you know, but you get lost in the woods, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> I love the way that you talk about your career as as luck and and following your heart is very much part of your process mm-hmm. and it, I, and for me it reminds me of how important it is to just kind of submit to like the good things that are happening in your life has that always been part of your practice or was it something that you had to learn this idea of submitting to the journey of the the ninja turtles well you know it's um you have this um when you're younger you know uh and you're you know uh probably I don't use the word naive again, but it's like when you're younger and you're, you know, pursuing an idea or dream or or ideals and things that you want to do. It's, it's, um, uh, um, you think, (laughs) you think you're in more control than you are sometimes. Um, and to a certain extent you are for, uh, 
dedicating the time to, um, you know, not go out with your friends and stay home and draw, or, you know, you've got to work, you know, just balancing this, this life and saving that time for that creative time. Um, but then there's just a series of happy accidents. And, you know, and I think like, you know, the things that had to happen for me to meet Peter Lair, just it's one in a million. It's like winning the lottery and that, you know, if I didn't take the bus on that day, I didn't find that magazine on the floor and I didn't go then to that office to try to sell a cartoon to them that they introduced me to, you know, it was just one of those things like, wait, what, you know, who was in control of that situation? You know, was it me that picked up the magazine and went there? Yes. To an, a certain sense, but who, you know, and so <laughs> it gets really meta. Um, uh, so you do have to come up with a balance of um, rolling with it. Um, and then, you know, but keep the vision and keep the purpose and, and keep the dream alive. So it's a, it's, it's quite a, quite a fascinating thing when you stop and think about it. Uh, last question, uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to jump topics a little bit, going back to mutant mayhem and going directly mm -hmm. to the ending of that film. It takes the turtles in a direction that is very new for them. Almost uh, runs contrary to kind of one of the standing things of like, they're supposed to be in the shadows, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to know what your initial reaction was to that. And if it's evolved at all. Yes, it definitely has evolved in that. Um, I feel like because of, um, you know, even things like um, so some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, which, you know, again, you know, I use them as, uh, you know, uh, mysterious um, superheroes and they in the shadows, you don't know their identities and this and that when like with, you know, um, Tom Holland's version of Peter Parker um, becomes known and becomes a thing. And so you I, I think you have more of a, a fan acceptance for that kind of concept, like, you know, mutants in the real world, you know, um, with X-Men movies, with uh, different kinds of things. So I, I think us wanting to keep the turtles to our, that side of them, you know, hidden and ninjas and, you know, this aspect was very guarded for a long time, but I got more comfortable with it as I, as I saw how it could work out there. And so, although I think it was a, uh, stretch to a certain extent um the timeliness of uh, uh it being such a wonderfully produced animated movie such colorful characters um such great humor and reflective of the times and very contemporary and the attitudes and the approach um it wasn't one of those moments i was actually more disturbed by um splinter and scumbug kissing mm -hmm. than i was um <laughs> the turtles going to school <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, sure so it, so it was one of those things that it didn't feel like, oh, you blew it. That's a step too far. Um, because that was really the heart and soul of the movie, wanting to be accepted. And that's, uh, I think, uh, you know, when you think of teenagers and um, um, all of us looking to find that way. And even, you know, as adults, finding that place in that space and finding that, um, finding your place in the world. Um, it was a theme throughout the movie. So it wasn't jarring, surprise, just kind of thrown in there kind of thing. So I thought it was... Uh, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, so I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that movie um, very, very much. Um, Jeff Rowe as a director um, grew up as a fan of Turtles and what he brought to it was just a great sensibility and, and craftsmanship and, and humor. Of course, add the amazing Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Um, the, the whole team was just fantastic. I'm, I'm so, so, so proud of that film. Yeah, we loved it as well. And we're really excited about where the Turtles are right now and their future looks bright. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. What and a thrill. What a thrill. Enjoy the rest of uh, your afternoon. Always a pleasure. Yeah, have a great day. Awesome. Thanks. Thank All right. Bye-bye. Cowabunga. Yeah, 
wasn't that nice? Cowabunga indeed. So we got to roll right into our New York Comic Con panel, and I want to set it up with the creators in the right positions, Lisa. Let's see if we can do as it. As they are seated. So it was Brad and Lisa at the podium, mm-hmm. then Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, Gavin Smith, mm-hmm. Vincenzo Federici, Sarah Meyer, Ben Bishop, the Escorza brothers and their translator, and then Jeff Rowe coming in in the last 15 minutes of this panel. That is correct. I was looking at a photograph. <laughs> he totally was. I, I was wondering <laughs> if he was going to give it up. Also, the Escorza brothers weren't late. We started early at the insistence of... Of the panelists and the room. So yes. I don't want like I don't want to, to to say that they are late individuals. We don't know. No, they were on time. They we arrived were like rock stars. Appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, that's the panel. Let's just enjoy it. Let's just return to New York Comic Con right now. Hello everybody. Cowabunga, everyone. Who is here to talk turtles today? <laughs> and I am a Mikey. <laughs> uh, I'm Brad Gullickson, and uh, I think of myself as a Donnie, but I'm afraid I'm a Rath. <laughs> we all are deep down inside. We have those days. And we're from the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, and we're just like you. We're big turtle nerds. And we could not be more thrilled to moderate the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next mutation of turtle power from IDW Publishing, And we've got ourselves a stacked panel today. So uh, let's keep that applause going for Kevin Eastman. Tom Waltz. Gavin Smith. Vincenzo Federici. Sarah Meyer. And it looks like... Here comes the Escorza brother. And we've got Ben Bishop all the way down there, too. There is literally... No better time to be a Ninja Turtles fan. There is literally a story for every person. So Kevin, how does it feel to look down this panel and look at all of these incredible collaborators working on what you and Peter Laird started nearly 40 years ago? It's beyond uh, beyond amazing. It's uh, as I think back of when Peter and I came up with the idea for the first issue. We did it as a complete story because we never thought there'd be a second issue. And that was coming up on 40 years. Next year, 40 years old. And you know whose fault it is? You guys. <laughs> yeah. The love and support you've given us over the years. But what's so great about sitting at this table with all these incredible um, uh, writers, artists, uh, creators, people that have helped build the Turtle universe into um, so many different places. Peter and I never could have imagined, um, and we've gone on so many uh, wonderful journeys together and told so many stories. Even I was like, there just can't be any stories left to tell. And then I started working with this guy, Tom Waltz, who's one of the few uh, writers in the entire industry of comics, who actually wrote 100 issues in a row. Um, literally. 
about the thing? Oh, last Ronin. Ronin. Oh, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Hold your horses. Hold your horses. So we get the whole last Ronin team, and, and you know, like you said, it's a great time to be a fan of all things turtles because you know things like Mayhem, the ongoing series, last Ronin. It's just. 40 years, man. Your fault. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not even 40 years old. <laughs> so we have a lot to celebrate today, and we're going to kick things off talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue 144 on sale October 18th. It's coming to us from Sophie Campbell, Gavin Smith, Rhonda Pattinson, Pattinson, and Russ Wooten. So, we have some exclusive preview pages here from so the issue. So many. Uh, you might want to get a camera out and snap some photos of them. Uh, Gavin, what are we seeing here? What do we got to get excited about with this issue? Uh, so, uh, you guys hear me all right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, we're starting off with, uh, leading off from 143, most of the gang has been caught in the night terror's dream, uh, or like a... Yeah, I guess a nightmare sequence, and Donnie is seeing another future vision of Armagon coming. Oh. And, uh, we've got Dr. Barlow uh, mutating into, uh, I guess, two out of three of his final forms coming up here. Like, you see at the bottom left here is his final form, which uh, when Sophie and I were talking that over, uh, just gave me this bonkers design and I just got so excited to be able to draw this and uh, so Sophie this is the first time I've ever worked with a writer who's also an artist so the way we communicate is really simple really easy and we just can jam on ideas together so when, when she presented this to me we just went back and forth with like little extra arms and limbs and the skull flesh dragon scale stuff and it was just a blast um, and then uh, we also see mushroom uh, in control of Dr. Barlow with the Dragon Scale stuff. There's some really crazy stuff happening this issue. It's awesome. And also, I think this issue is the first time outside of a cover that all six turtles are together. Yes. Oh. All of that brings us to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 145, out November 8th, which puts us on the road to 150, which will be the conclusion of Sophie Campbell's epic run on the series. And Tom and Kevin, could you talk about a little bit more about what it's like to work with Sophie Campbell and what it means to get to 150? You know, it, it's, it's funny, when I was finishing up 100 and they told me uh, Sophie would be taking over with 101, I was actually, I kind of fanboyed out because I, I got to work with Sophie during my run. One of the, my favorite run parts of that it was the Northampton art. But Sophie not only is a collaborator, she's become a very good friend of mine. And the, the amazing thing about Sophie, I, I, I'll say this, no idea is too crazy for Sophie. So <laughs> they're never too crazy. She's the only one we have to say, come back, Sophie, come back. That's a little too wild. But the, the thing is that it was just amazing to watch her work for those 50 issues, not only as, as I said, like as a fan, but as a friend and a collaborator. And I didn't think she could top a lot of the stuff she was doing, and then I got to see the proposal for this, these last five issues, and it's, it's pretty, pretty dang amazing what's coming uh, this, 
stuff that she's doing with uh, Gavin and, and Vincenzo, I think it's going to really blow people away. And I think it's it's a fitting fitting end cap to everything she's done for the 50 issues she's been on. And you know, like Kevin mentioned about me writing 100 issues, but then to have somebody come in and then follow up and write 50 issues is to me just equally amazing. And that's one of the things about this book. I think that's that's helped this longevity and its successes. We've been able to keep a, like a core team together. Because like I said, Sophie worked on this book before. She was the writer. She did some stories, she did some art, and it was just a smooth, oops, sorry, a smooth transition in to, uh, to taking over the series. And I'm really excited for everybody to see where she's going with this. Well, let's see a little bit of that. Uh, we've got some exclusive preview pages from this issue. Vincenzo, it looks like you're going to be working a lot with Donatello. Uh, tell us about it. Donatello is the best artist. Yes, I, yes, yes, yes. Vinny's a dummy. When the, the guys uh, told me that I had to work on this, uh, on this run, I was like, uh, okay, wow. They told me he's uh, a dummy based run. And I was, oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. Yeah. I lost totally my mind. Uh, after two days, I was able to. Uh, to reply to the mail and say, okay, yes, I'm in. And um, for me, it's uh, amazing because uh, Don is uh, my favorite turtle, and this, uh, in the Armageddon game series, I had the opportunity to, to work on him, on him uh, just in the last two or three issues. Uh, so when uh, I had the opportunity to work on uh, a full run based on him, mm. it, it was uh, uh, incredible. And then uh, I had the opportunity to draw some uh, variations on the other turtles because we, we are uh, in the future, in the farthest future. So uh, you will see different kind of turtles, different futures uh, for them. And it, uh, it's uh, incredible because the, um, the Sophie script is uh, very easy to, um, to read because uh, she uh, tells you exactly what she wants to see. Mm. And um, we worked together on some uh, character designs, uh, and uh, as Gavin uh, said, it's very easy when uh, the, the writer is also an artist. Uh, but when Sophie sent me her character, <coughs> I hate her too much. Because they are <laughs> incredible. And I hate my stuff. I want to... <laughs> Extra pressure. <laughs> too much pressure. It's a really cool run. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, out now, right now, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Halloween special. Uh, Eric Burnham, Sarah Meyer, Dan Schoening, uh, Louise Antonio Delgado, Ed Dukeshire. Oh, my goodness. Preview pages. We've got uh, Dan on the left there, Sarah on the right. Sarah, we have been loving those those last few pages are sarah's and we have been loving your colors but this is your debut as the interior artist so what's it like drawing the ninja turtles because we know your fandom runs deep yes um so yeah previously to this issue that you're seeing a preview from right here i had been a colorist for um uh, Saturday Morning Adventures and TMNT versus Street Fighters, um, or Street Fighter, sorry. Um, but I've been a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles since I was a really, really little kid in the late 80s. Um, and it just, it's pretty much pervaded my subconscious, you know. Uh, and uh, I 
It's been such a dream come true to work on IDW's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, but to to now be able to draw those 87 turtles that I, I love personally so much um, has been really fun, and I love um, kind of, in a way, it's it's like a, a wish fulfillment because um, I, I knew growing up probably that I, I wanted to sort of do voice acting, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to ever play one of the turtles, you know what I mean? So in a way, when you draw a comic, or when you're an animator, or, or when you're just drawing anything, you know, really, you are very much acting as the character. So when, when the script says something like, you know, Raph is annoyed and he says this, I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's my chance to think about how Rob Paulson sounded, but then I'm literally, while I'm drawing it, I'm making the facial expression, I'm thinking about like how I would want Raph to look if it was an animated sequence and he was saying that line, um, etc. So it's, it's been incredible, it's so much fun. And, yeah, yeah round of applause. Yes. Uh, you'll be back at it for issue six coming out on October 26, Chrome Dome. <laughs> and we have an exclusive look at some of your process pages. And here we see all of that nuance you capture in those expressions. Can you give us a little taste of that inner monologue, inner dialogue in the turtles' brains? I ranted to Brad and uh, Lisa yesterday. This is partly why they're asking me this question. So I'm going to try my best to, to sort of repeat what I, some of the lunacy that I... You can surprise us. We're open to surprises. Okay, so I, like I said, I'm an obsessive fan of the 1987 Fred Wolf Murakami Swenson um, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. And upon re-watching it many, many times, I've noticed that there's certain nuances to their... Uh, personalities that sometimes uh, people might not realize are there if they're just think going on what they vaguely remember from years and years ago. So I encourage you to please rewatch it. Um, and you'll see that, for example, like there's there's a lot of sort of like Mikey's very innocent. So whenever I have to draw like, well, let me just give an example. If the script calls for all four turtles are worried, Michelangelo looking worried is not the same as Donatello looking worried. Donatello, I love to draw upward furrowed uh, eye ridges a little bit. Sometimes like one, one eye is like slightly wider than the other because it's I'm hearing Barry Gordon's voice acting in my head. Um, and Donat or, uh, and uh, Leonardo has a little bit more of a pure expression as well, um, a little bit more serious and stoic, but when his sword is broken or something like that happens, that's when I love, um, I'm like kind of giddy over like letting Leonardo kind of freak out a little bit in his facial expressions. Um, but anytime that Raph is, um, here's I guess not really that great an example because he's, he's in the forefront, but anytime that Raph is not speaking but he's present in a panel, I love to kind of draw him just staring at the reader. So if you look at anything that I draw, just just look like, and you'll see a tiny little Raphael. Imagine Rob Paulson's voice acting in your minds when you see it, and you'll just see him kind of going. And it, it doesn't even matter how far away he is from the, the, the front of the panel. Um, so it'll be sometimes very tiny. But, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just have so much fun with their, their facial expressions. That's my absolute favorite thing to draw. 
And the animated series right now is streaming on Paramount Plus, so you can revisit it today if you'd like. Yes. Uh, so we've got some exclusive preview pages for issue seven. I know for Lisa and I, this series really like digs into our nostalgia for the Ninja Turtles. That's it's, how we got into them in the first place. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, Kevin, like for you, what does it mean to have this specific universe, this like truly all ages universe still kicking around? You got it. <laughs> No, I love it, you know, because it was, it was one of those uh, moment times when, when, you know, Pete and I always imagined as a comic book and we had the opportunity to, to, to work on it and develop it as a cartoon series. It was something that we knew going into it. The series was written to an older audience. This was something that we were running for a very specific younger audience. And um, because we were lucky enough to have control over our characters, we were very careful not only with um, picking out the voices, um, how the designs look for the characters, some of the changes in the origin, you know, uh, things like uh, the original comic, the turtles. When I first painted them with um, in full color, they all had red bandanas. It was I thought Pete's amazing idea, you know, to, to change the color bandanas because the toy company in in the in the end was like, well, how do you tell them apart? And we're like, you know, the weapons, duh. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so many changes. But um, and then you know the theme song, which we all love. Uh, probably a lot of you know Chuck Lorre is the the, the author of the original theme song. And so having all those pieces come together, and it was a five-part episode, and it was one of those, I felt like we did the best we could. It was a bit of a Hail Mary and hoped that uh, it would work. And um, you know, like almost 200 episodes later, we're still having such a good time with both versions of the Turtles. Um, you know, we still got to keep the black and white series, we were doing the animated series, and then you know, somewhere in the middle was a live action series. But the fact that this is still out there today, still resonating, and even fans of um, the 2012 series, one of my favorite, um, 2000, you know, Nickelodeon's 2012 series, which is so much fun. Um, a lot of them was still, you know, the older fans love it. They ease their kids into the 2012 series by having them watch the original series, which is great. So, but I love it. And I'm so thrilled to comics back with new stories, original stories, and such a wonderful creative team putting it together. I wanted want to say something too. This one of the things about this series that was exciting for me. So I, for a long time, I was an editor at IW as well, and we the Saturday Morning Adventures uh, line kind of came about when we had the GI Joe license, so we did the GI Joe book. Um, but one of the, the books I was just honored to, to edit for many years, alongside writing Turtles, was Ghostbusters. We had yeah. a really good Ghostbusters run. We actually did crossovers with the Turtles. And I have a really good friend in this industry, but a very talented person named Eric Burnham. And so whenever Saturday Morning Adventures uh, came up in, in the editorial room, it was almost like automatic. Who's gonna write this Eric? There's just, Eric is like the 80s guy. He just knows all these voices. He, he creates these, these characters in a way that is so authentic. And I know he wishes he was here. He actually texted me and, and said, I just learned a new term called FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> just never knew it until today. But I, I, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the hard work Eric does on this series and has done for IDW books over the years. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I knew when we brought him in, we were going to get a cartoon in, in comic book form, and we got that. And he's so fun, and he's so funny. And the fourth wall breaking is just, like, so satisfying. So it, by all ages, we mean everybody everybody's gonna love it yeah yeah we were lucky enough to have eric uh on the show to talk to him for a little bit plug plug uh thank you yeah uh and you know he was talking about the challenges of bouncing back and forth between you know the you know the main ongoing series and saturday morning cartoons and i wonder if you could speak to that a little bit tom about like you know like the headspace you have to be in for the ongoing 
versus any other uh, version. You know, it, it's that is a challenge, and actually, that was an early challenge when when Kevin and I transitioned to writing the Last Roman because when you write a hundred issues in a row, those those people live in your head. You know, I, I always joke. Sometimes I'll be sitting on the couch and be having a memory, and I'm not really sure if it's my memory or a character's <laughs> memory because I've just done it for so long. And it, it's funny that that Sarah mentions the the voice acting. Um, writing can be kind of a, a lonely process sometimes. I have you know, my little home office and I sit in there and there's times where I'm like, I, I gotta go see people and I'll go out with my wife and daughter and take my laptop and I'll be sitting on the, on the couch writing and then I, I start to say things out loud as I'm writing and then my wife is like, who are you talking to? And I was like, Casey Jones. <laughs> it just works better when I can say it out loud. But when, when we, we switched to Ronan, you know, our, our ongoing line is what I kind of, I always call like our Avengers book. You know, it's kind of that team plus book where, you know, there's violence and there's, there's some adult themes, but also we don't want to push the, the envelope too far. You know, we want it to be accessible to, to more, uh, a wider demographic. Um, Ronan certainly is much more mature, but that also requires a kind of a different, a, a different voice. And so when I, my first, I wrote a full script with Kevin for the, the first issue, and this is really good, and it would be great in the ongoing, but we, this has to be different. This has to feel different. We have to pull back on, on, on Mikey's voice. We have to, we have to kind of find this, you know, the Ronan's voice. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but my, probably my favorite thing about working on Ronan, you know, despite all the acclaim and the success and all that, was that for me, Ronan ended up being, after working on Turtles for 10 years, almost like going back to Turtle School. It was, it was really interesting for me to, to, there's a reason this guy is the living legend that he is. He has such, it, it, the, the instincts are amazing to me that, that Kevin has. He, does, <laughs> he, has little, he has little ideas sometimes, you know, and he, and he really took the control when we, with, with Ronan, he became the Batman. I, I was the Robin in the, in the passenger seat, and it was just really fun, actually very fun for me to kind of have to relearn the turtles in a whole new way. But what that indicated to me, not just you know as a, as a writer, that there was still things for me to learn, there's ways to evolve, is that this property is so, I, I would say it's flexible. Turtles are flexible. You, it's, you can write a Saturday morning adventures, you can write a Ronin, you can write everything in between. You can have a mutant mayhem. Uh, I worked on some video games. We had little different voices for the video games. But at its core, it's always turtles, and, and people who are fans, old and new, find their way back to it, whatever voice you're using. So it's, it's not only fun to create, but I, I think you, know, you guys can agree, as a fan, what other property really has such a diverse line of stories, and, and, and I think just accessibility. accessibility yeah, and it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's something that's really, if you think about this, if you, like Kevin said, you think, oh, there's no more stories to tell, but there's always more stories to tell with these guys, always, and that's the fun thing about it, and there's always new ways to do it, so, and, and we're just getting started, and not just us, like, like so this is a, probably the best time almost right now to be a turtle chain, because there's a lot of things coming on the, the pike that are really exciting. Woo! Yes. We have some super rad crossovers going on. Um, we're already up to number five of the Ninja Turtles versus Street Fighter. It's going to be on sale November 8th from Paula Lore, Ariel Metal, Sarah Meyer on colors, Ed Dukeshire. And let's see that, see that exclusive preview page. And who was that? M. Bison. Iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone take a snap of that. This is exclusive. This is for, you know, the eyes Your here eyes first. first. I mean, this is such an iconic moment, you know, Shredder versus M. Bison. Sarah, you got to talk a little bit about 
getting your colors on this page. Oh yeah, okay. So for, for this series, TMNT versus Street Fighter, um, I get, well, first of all, I, I laugh when I read Eric's scripts, and I laugh when I read uh, Paul's scripts as I'm like drawing or coloring. I'm just like smiling and laughing as I'm like reading along. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and for this series, I, and I absolutely love Ariel's art as well. It's been amazing working with that team. Um, so whenever I get the, the inks um, and I'm, I'm reading the script, uh, I try and think about what moments have to be most impactful based on the script. And then I also kind of try to balance that with like how Ariel's laid out the page and think about where I want to direct the eye. So objectively, that's what I'm thinking about as a colorist. Um, but in general, like I really wanted to make this whole series feel like you're watching a freeze frame from Rocky <laughs> or one of the most intense MMA fights that you've ever seen and just like crank up basically the, the contrast and the, the um, lens flare in a way. I wanted to give it a really sort of specific stylized look. So you're seeing a lot of backlighting for you know letting the line art where Ariel's um, got that awesome like shape of the, the blood spray and like I guess spittle in a way flying out of Shredder's uh, mask um, as he's being punched by Bison. Um, but you know that amazing silhouette that he's got there in the center center page in the center panel, like absolutely that was one of those moments where I thought that has to be, I gotta like step back and not put any color there. You know what I mean? Let like his silhouette show through so that we see that action. Um, but it's just been so much fun coloring that series. The, the action, the characters, the way that they, they're they uh, grabbing each other, grappling, you know, the body language, and the musculature that Ariel renders is so much fun to shape, too. I love to sort of put emphasis on bulging muscles or deltoids or whatever if a character's like pulling back for a punch. That's like one of my favorites, so. I'm her model. Having so <laughs> and, and you know, I you know I asked Tom, I'm like, I need like pictures of flexing guns, and basically Tom sends them over, and I'm like, that's perfect. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't know it's AIR. <laughs> <laughs> Vincenzo, yeah, so Vin Vincenzo, I noticed you whispering to your neighbors. Can you share what you said with the class, please? <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> Brian Colbert's for this series. Yes. And uh, I was really excited because uh, Street Fighter, both Street Fighter and Wigat uh, Arthur are for me uh, the most important brands in the world. But oh. the, the most difficult thing is, uh, was that the, uh, the editor asked me, yes, did the cover, but uh, a huge connected cover, a big, yeah. one big image. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, I realized um, five covers with uh, full of characters. I asked something easy. Two characters per cover? No. I, I, I don't know how many characters I did. <laughs> but uh, it's a, a huge piece. And I'm totally crazy because I decided to draw them on paper, not just digital. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I asked to color that covers by myself. So I was a suicide. <laughs> <laughs> My artist, artist table number is H20. 
H20. Go and see those pages, some of his, his work in person. It's incredible to see those inks out on the That's table. Uh, and then, uh, the fully paid. <laughs> so coming up on October 25th, we have the fourth issue in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Strangers Things, one of my favorite series going on at IDW right now from uh, Cameron Chidock, Pharaoh Pay, Sophie Dodgson, and Russ Wooten. Look at these process art uh, pages, this preview from Pharaoh's art. Like, Going back to that Mirage era, it just hits something unique, something super special in my soul. Kevin, what is it like to see this era brought back and to be clashed with Stranger Things? Yeah. No, it was a fantastic idea. And I, at first, when they, they mentioned it, I was, you know, my wife and I, Courtney, we loved Stranger Things as a series. And, and they, when they made the connections, like, the timing was the Turtles in 1984, and the series, the original series, taking place in 1984. And you start, I started seeing the connections of how it could come together, and, and certainly again, Tom talked about the flexibility of the Turtles, and you could see ways of making it work. But uh, when the, the, the writers and the artists, when they when they took the direction, they said we're going all the way back to 1984 in the styling, uh, and uh, uh, seeing some of the original pages, same thing. I think the, the artists went right back to. Um, uh, had done digital mostly in the past, but was doing physical artwork in the process of trying to curate that beaky look they had during those early years. And so, um, yeah, definitely a perfect throwback and a perfect style for that series. It works on every level for me, yeah. And in black and white, I love it so much. And that's what's so exciting about getting the director's cut out Yay. on November 22nd. I love the director's cuts when we get them. Uh, you know, I, I guess this question is for all the artists up there, but what does it mean for you? Like, you know, Ninja Turtles is one of the few uh, franchises that can, you know, put out a director's cut when a run ends. Uh, what does it mean for you guys to see your work presented in this fashion? Gavin. Oh, I, I haven't happened to be yet. I know, but like, what would, what would it theoretically mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see this as a fan though. Uh, like, I, of course, the Ronin director's cuts. I picked up all those. It's nice to see, uh, you know, the score. It's like nice to see like uh, your work in black and white. It's always a pleasure. Um, no, I think you know it's funny. It's it's interesting. You know, for the many years I've been around, uh, I get to work with a lot of different artists. To me, it's, it's the two coolest things in one seeing another artist studio, so you can see, you know. Got it, got it needed, you know, just yeah. mm -hmm. stuff that they have on their walls, but the things that, you know, it's a, yeah, you know, usual suspects, sort of, wall, the Kaiser Sozi, you see all the bits and pieces and the things that you draw this energy from. But also, to me, it was um, the process of learning, because, um, you know, when I grew up, there was no Cubert school, there was no kind of thing, so until you saw an actual original art page and saw the process of what they did and how they put those pages together, like, you know, one of my favorite lines that IDW puts together is the Artisan series, because you see, that artwork is scanned from the original pages that the artist spilled coffee on, that they whited out stuff. You saw the mistakes, you saw the blemishes, you saw what they had to do to make those pages work, and that's how we learn, and that's how we teach each other by looking at the stuff. You know, when I first met the Escorter Brothers, my first question was, all right, you know, because people ask the same thing to Pete and I when we were drawing together, because we both write and we both draw. So we literally pass pages back and forth. So when I met the Escorter, I said, like, all right, so does one of you pencil and one of you ink, or you do this stuff, and they just kind of 
do it all at the same time. Like literally <laughs> on the same page simultaneously. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, just watching the magic, you know, watching the Esquire Brothers work, period, is just the most fantastic uh, thing in the world. Well, again, I don't want to talk about Ronan a bit, but that's... Uh, you know what a, a writer's director's cut looks like? <laughs> it's pictures of my keyboard with, like, pajamas. If you love DVD extras, you're going to love director's cuts, so get your pre-orders in order. Do not sleep on this. If you're a person who needs to catch up on all things IDW, maybe it's been a minute since you've read it, or maybe you're just a person who likes a reference, who likes a text, we've got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles source book, which is covering IDW's entire um, Ninja Turtles run. Yeah, like the most notable events, locations, characters, uh, you know, Tom, what, what is it like for you to have someone revisit the earlier days of your run and represent it? Honestly, it helps me. Sometimes I forget. The funny thing is, it's funny that Vincenzo was saying that he, he, he took on that amazing and difficult mission to do all those characters. I don't know why he would do that after working with me in Armageddon games where I brought <laughs> like 8 billion characters in one little series. I thought, hey, you never want to do that again. But it, it, honestly, it was during Armageddon game while we were working on that. And you know, we did bring in some new characters, but we were you know, tying, tying up the bow and, and ribbons, or however you say that, knots on, on old plot lines. And as we were doing that, it, we at IW were saying, we, we really need a source book. You know, we, need, we need something that, that we can even look at as, as creators to, to go back and see all the stuff we've done because there's been so many things that have happened over, over the years. But you know, again, I'm always a Turtles fan first, so not only am I excited as a creator to have this as reference, but as a fan, what, what Patrick, Patrick has worked with us before when we were on the Road to 100, um, he, he did the uh, kind of like the summary and an interview summary with all the creators over the years that we included in the back of, I guess that was technically like a director's cut too. But um, he's, he's just a, a wonderful talent and he's amazing at, at finding a way to just archive all this stuff and then present it in an in a entertaining fashion. So I'm really looking forward to this now you know, as a fan. I think everybody's gonna really dig it. And it, it, again, it's, it's kind of like, you know, pulling out that, uh, that uh, photo album and looking at the pictures of, of your family over the years when my daughter's 20 now, but sometimes I like to see when she was two, you know? And so I think it's, it's the same idea. I do want to do one thing, because Sarah is always, always so nice. And Sarah, what's your booth number? Um, G26. <laughs> we don't all do just turtles. Sarah has a book called Monstrous that yes. is autobiographical. It's one of the most wonderful graphic novels I've ever read. Um, it's the most amazingly honest. Um, All right, it's time. We gotta talk the last road into re-evolution. Yes. We have a new and improved on sale date of February, so call up your shops, get your pre-orders in immediately. The whole gang is back together for this one. Yes, we yeah, we definitely got the band back together and it was uh, it was an interesting process because um, you know, much like I, I go back to the first issue with Turtles, um, Peter and I never planned for a second uh, series. And when Tom and I, you know, um, when, I, when I showed Tom the story that Pete and I wrote in 1987, after we were, you know, we were on the road to issue 100, and I said, I think it's time we, we take a hard look at something like this. Um, the original story written in 87 was set um, 30 years in the future, so 
we looked at it in 2018, which was a year after it was originally set. Um, so we took the key components of that, and uh, as Tom was finishing up some of the writing, um, uh, not the finishing all the writing on uh, the last couple issues, because even the last couple issues leading up to issue 100 were 40 pages long. And, yeah. and so I, I went through and I expanded it and came up with the title Last Ronin. And so when we finally got, he got clear of that, we got to sit down and really take a look at it and said, this is what we're going to adapt into this story. Um, as we get into the Ronin-verse, um, with this incredible team, not only um, I have to bring my good friend from Maine, Ben Bishop, in as one of the flashback artists, which is what we designed. Yay! But I had the uh, incredible experience uh, at a show down in Limoli to, to meet one half of the Explorers of Brothers team um, and get to know their artwork, and they came and did a few projects for us at Heavy Metal and just blew us away completely to the point where Tom and I were looking for a series artist. Um, one that we wanted to work with had to drop out. Um, but my wife actually pointed out, uh, Isaac gave her this wonderful drawing um, when we were in the mole, and my wife said, what about these guys? They can really draw. Um, reached out, and uh, we were just lucky. They just finished the project, and they were able to join the team. And, and that was the best of, of all worlds, because it was unplanned. We were able to put together um, the best people, the best team, and then we went on this adventure together, because those pages, and those, that story was written as we did it. You know, we had an outline, had a series. This is very much, I tell Tom uh, a number of times going through the process, this is very much how Peter and I worked. Originally, was um, we'd write a, an outline, we do the beginning, middle, and end, basic pieces, and then when I started going through the layouts and doing the layout process, um, which, you know, they actually just came out of the show, we talked about director's cuts, you can see a director's cut that shows a lot of the original designs and stuff. Um, of what was done to tell that story, to bring that story to life. It's one of the things, you know, Ben and I have worked together before. We were doing a series called Drawing Blood, but with the Swarthy Brothers, I don't speak any uh, Spanish, or very little Spanish. They don't speak a, very, uh, a lot of English. Um, um, and so it was all communication uh, through the artwork. And so it was like, when I was designing, when we wrote a scene, and this is what the scene looks like in this futuristic city, I would do a sketch of it and send it to Isaac, uh, um, Isaac and Isao and say, this is where it's gonna set, and then here's the layout, here's the design, here's the storyboards, and then we just sort of sat back and watched the magic, sort of what these guys um, would send us in, and we'd just be like, oh, <laughs> uh, such a such a great thing. So the process of going through all that, we can talk about it a little bit more, but. Um, we never planned for a sequel, but we really fell uh, deeply in love with the whole Ronin-verse, um, Tom and I, and so and we had this idea for the ending that was became the final page of issue one, and saw an opportunity to go back to the Ronin-verse in two different ways. One was, um, you know, uh, moments like The Lost Years, which you've seen, um, which was a great adventure, sort of prequel, sequel, prequel kind of thing, leading up to issue one, page one of Last Ronin, the first series, and then... Uh, um, and it was hard to then really think of what we wanted to say yeah. in Last Runner 2, because it's, at it, 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 it absolute minimum, we had to try our best to make it at least as good and, and hopefully even better. And, uh, and with Tom and I, it's always been story first, and we took a lot of time. And that's why we pushed it a couple months, because it is, uh, uh, we wanted it to be perfect. So uh, we're, you know, we were hoping to have the first issue in December. We appreciate you guys waiting, but when, we, when you see it in November, we're going to see a little, some previews here. But, uh, it's, it's going to be worth the wait, I believe. Boom. Yeah. Previews. Uh, process pages. You may bask. You may bask in the glory of these preview pages. <laughs> this, is, this is why they don't let the scores out very often. <laughs> <laughs> you, you 
Better than them a day. <laughs> so Esau and Isaac, can you talk a little bit about what we are going to get from you in the last Ronin two? Obviously, a lot. First of all, thank you for being here, guys. I see your faces, and I want to say thank you to all of you. And thanks to the team that we have here on the table. They have been working with us for the whole process, especially to Kevin, who believed in us at the beginning. It's a weird privilege to be working with him. It's like a dream come true. We're trying to do something better than the first one in every, every single way possible. That's our intention for this one. It has been quite a ride to do this. He loves to draw the turtles now. All of you who know him, you know he prefers to draw the turtles than drawing anything else. Any human character or anything that resembles a human, he prefers to draw a turtle. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's always saying that he would also like to thank Delgado because he has been complaining about all the work that they're sending to him. <laughs> so he has personally told him, like, please stop adding so much detail in your pages because it's complicated to me to actually draw. So it's. It's, he's saying that it's a good thing that the project got delayed for two months because you will not know the details and Delgado will be pissed off. So. <laughs> is it Lewis that's complaining? Yes. Yes. <laughs> when I first got the pages in, I was looking at them like, oh my god. Because yeah. yeah. Lewis is, who's not here, but he's just he's been with us through the whole first uh, series and many other, he does a lot of other, some other Mighty W books, Tom works with them for, for a while. But yeah, I mean, I would be incredibly intimidated going into the uh, Esposa Brothers pages and kind of. Color, but he, he kills it every issue. Yeah, and, and Luis, Luis, not just on this book, there's many books he obviously works at at IDW, over the years has probably been IDW's most unsung hero uh, on many books because books tend to you know, run a little behind sometimes and when you have a colorist that, that talented and that fast, that reliable and kind of buys you back days um, when he gets the pages, it's, it's amazing. And I, I, he's he's a person in this industry that there, there's just times I don't. He, he should be one of the biggest superstars, not just for his work, but just for his work ethic. It's, it's amazing to watch what he does, and, and he's a really nice guy too. He's funny. <laughs> we we have more exclusive preview pages from the last Ronin two. Snap some photos there. Uh, you know, this is the sequel. There's got to be a lot of pressure with doing The Last Ronin 2. Uh, I guess this is for the whole gang, but like, how do you rise to that pressure? S steal it from everybody? <laughs> no, uh, it, a lot of it came from a lot of um, inspiration of different um, periods of comics that I love, you know, New Mutants and, and, and just so many different historical parts. But I want to point out the new designs, you know, look, Tom and I came up with the names of them. 
what we generally want them to look, even, you know, Tamara, just to give you, if you don't know the, the, the origin behind the names of the turtles, is a, we have back and forth of this to this. We had input from lots of different friends and, and uh, colleagues. And then Tom one day was saying, uh, something to the effect of, um, wouldn't it be great if one was called number one, like, you know, um, like in uh, Star Trek, like, you know, number one, engage. And I said, you know, there's something really cool there. Uh, I said, what if we took that concept and said, to Casey Jones, uh, Casey Marie Jones, um, who names them, um, she wouldn't want to name them one above the other. To her, they were all number one in her heart. So we said, well, let's find uh, different names uh, for number one in different languages. So basically, you know, Odingi, Moja, um, and Auno uh, are all number one in different languages. So they're all equal as you know, two males, two females. But then we turned this whole pile of stuff over to Ben Bishop, who did the designs. Um, these. I want to talk a little bit about yes. these. Yes, please. It was a dream uh, to kill the turtles, and it was a dream uh, <laughs> to get to bring some back and, you know, uh, you know be forgiven for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically people ask, like, oh, what, what was the direction? What was the direction? And basically, like, from day one, we were at, it was the big CG signing when we were talking about this stuff and uh, it was like can we make them different enough without bandanas like in their silhouettes and in their shapes and that would lead into very different personalities of course and so that was the main objective right out of the gate and we started talking about different markings and different species and, and Kevin sent me some digital file of a poster of like 300,000 different turtle species <laughs> and, and he was like go <laughs> and so I basically absorbed it all, I looked at it for a minute, and then I didn't want to be tied down to one particular species per turtle, so I let it all kind of just sink into my subconscious and just had fun drawing. Um, and I ended up drawing um, 12 different turtles, both baby and uh, teenage, because last year's, if you don't know, uh, five issues in a one-shot, but each issue is three years apart, so I had to design what they looked like at three, and then six, and then nine, all the way up until they're Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we can kick into re-evolution. And so that was a ton of fun. And then they had a particular look for the Lost Day Special, which was their first time above ground and in their uh, disguises. And I wasn't going to do, you know, the fedora and the trench coat. <laughs> so I think here in the future, you find what you can get. Um, and the response has been amazing. And I think a lot of that is because we're not reinventing the turtles, uh, like, and replacing them or rebooting them. It's really all about the legacy and it's about the respect and the honor and the reverence that they have for who came before them um, in the same way that even though a lot of those turtles might have been dead in, in the in the scores of scenes in the first book, they were always there. The brothers were always there with Mikey and, and they're writing this in such a way that the original turtles are always there and then these guys have the challenge of um, living up to that. And then I also knew that when I was done, I'd be handing them off to these guys, and, and they're just killing it. And I love seeing all the variant covers with every artist doing their interpretations of these guys. It still doesn't feel real. Uh, look at that. Speaking of variant covers. <laughs> wow. Issue one. Issue one variant covers. Um, get your cam. These are on the internet already. You can still take pictures of them. The next slide is going to be the first look at the uh, covers for issue number two. <laughs> So Artist Alley A4. Yes, please. <laughs> so 
Can we talk yes. a little bit about what makes the perfect variant cover or any cover? Uh, Especially for Last Ronin 2. Yeah. You know, a knockout. Uh, I like, I like, obviously, I like seeing other people draw these, these new turtles, but it is great to see this variety after so many covers for the first book, right? And you saw a lot of, you know, ghost turtles and then Ronin in the front, but there's all this, like, new material that people can pull from, especially once we get started and the first issue comes out and then all those artists are catching up. I think they're going to have a lot of ideas, and just because of the look of these guys being so different, the variety is going to be really cool. I think also that one of the things that I've been really happy about, I, I was honestly petrified to do New Turtles. When we, when Kevin goes, let's throw four little turtles as an Easter egg in the back of the Ronin and see what happens. Like, do you really want to do that? I'm not sure if you want to do that. But the thing is that, like Kevin said, it's it all came together naturally in, in the sense that when we started working on names, it was hard to. It wasn't hard. We and those were the names. And then when Ben's designs came in, I looked at them and go, I love them. These are these are the, these are what we want. And you know, and, and as we started to discuss their personalities and how they would be, you know, like you said, pay homage to the original turtles, but be their own, their own turtles, their own personalities. And one of the things we, we've discussed at, at length was, like, was what is a, a teenager like in 2023? It's very different than I was a teenager in 1984. And I think kids today are 10 times tougher than we were because they've got 10 times more things to deal with, stimuli constantly, and it, it creates kind of a different dynamic um, in, in modern reality. So we said, it can't just be, they can't just be happy. You know, there's things that we deal with now, social anxieties, there's, there's autism, there's, there's depression, there's just all kinds of stuff that kids these days, isolation that they have to deal with, we never had to deal with. And I wanted to bring that in, into these characters. So Kevin and I really sat down to, to make sure that these are new turtles. And what happened is, as we were writing in the Lost Years and Lost Day, um, Ben and, and Shannon Gallant, those guys, they did such a great job of kind of like conveying those personalities and, and making them unique, making them their own turtles. And you can see that in this artwork, that you know, these, are, these are characters that are alive. And that's what's making this exciting for me because now I'm like, I'm glad we did this. But you know, a few years ago I would have said, I don't know, should we do this? And, you know, is, it, is it almost sacrilege to create new turtles? But this is the time to do this and I'm, I'm really hoping that fans are as excited as I am and Kevin and all of us about bringing these turtles into the world because it's this is their time and, and it's, it's a really fun book to work on. I just want to say like, it's, sister cover to it because it was Mikey with the, the brothers and Splinter behind him and it, was a, and it was raining but it was in a dark place but with this one I wanted Mikey kind of looking over the new gang you know with like it's like a new and dawn and you, you have it yeah you have it very there. very bright I, very I, I, thought of, I thought of Lost Years like that like because yeah. Ronan was so dark and right I mean of course some of the scenes in Lost Years are very very dark but the stuff I was drawing the way that the I don't know if you guys have read it but there's a whole new layer for these turtles and it's full of life and uh and so it's kind of like this rebirth because every every ending is a beginning, but you can probably tell something bad might happen in last run two. <laughs> so but for now it's bright. Yeah. <laughs> the future is bright. <laughs>
Do we have some Mutant Mayhem fans in the house? The Art of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is on sale now. The, the film itself is streaming on Paramount Plus, and the physical release is on December 12th, in time for my birthday, yeah. FYI. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We are eager for that disc, and we're loving that book. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone who worked on the film here, right now? I think that would be pretty cool. Wouldn't that cool. be nice? Uh, folks, give it up for director Jeff Rowe. Jeff, when you first started wading into the ooze, from what exists, what from the existing turtle verse did you immediately want to draw from? It's it's so it's so interesting. Right before I started on the movie, I, I rewatched uh, the this Netflix documentary called The Toys That Made Us. It was all about yeah. the original. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I I'm 37, so it's like I started collecting those when I was four years old, and that was my that was, for me as a kid, that was just like a gateway to another world. And the designs were so fun and inventive and irreverent. And it, my parents didn't understand why I liked them. And that just made it cooler. And, uh, uh, and there was something just so uh, uh, playful about them that uh, I didn't want to draw away from. Like, the, the, like I just remember seeing video of the pizza shooter van and that little plastic disc and just like I, I know the exact weight of it i can feel it in my hand still it's uh uh so that that was probably a big jumping off point and were you examining the figures like you know like what was the grossest and weirdest figure what do we need <laughs> yeah, to replicate yeah, 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 yeah. for this show we actually uh, got to go to uh, Steve Varner Studios, and he showed us a bunch of uh, sculpts of the the original toys. And there were some wild things back then, uh, but uh, but they were elaborate and detailed, and 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 loved. And uh, uh, there's just this spirit of like the people making this were having so much fun, and were just trying to make themselves happy and make each other laugh. And we wanted to have that same ethos and spirit carry through in the film. No, I think, you know, and I think you did that so epically, brilliantly, in every level. It's like, so I felt like uh, the first time I was invited up to see some of the footage and uh, it was offered this really wonderful cameo part, which I'm still, makes me emotional. He's a voice so, in the film, <laughs> that's great. He crushes it. There's so many times I've been but I've seen like little bits and pieces like you, but they actually sort of, Pull back the curtain and I got to see it. It was just like, you guys are having some serious fun on this project. <laughs> the design of the project, the different people you were able to bring in, these voices to help, you know, you know, ready for Lee, you know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Mark. No, uh, but to me, it was um, when you started showing some of the animated clips, because so much of it was coming together with this incredible studio. And I want you to talk about I know you did spend a lot of time on the designs. When you start seeing this design, which is this beautifully weighted organic style, which took me back. I said, this, I feel there's elements of back when Pete and I were first doing the comic because we had no clue what we were doing. You tried to figure out a path and it was sort of scratchy and raw, but you captured this essence, which took it all the way back and then took it so much further. And uh, the lighting and just 
I, I think I was watching, I watched about ten. I watched about ten minutes of footage, and I'm like, "Have you guys started on the sequel yet? Because you better start on." The <laughs> That's a great question. Going back to those like original Mirage stories, though, like it gets it gets gritty, it gets weird, it gets wild right away. Like the leash is like so long with the Ninja Turtles. And I love how you decided to lean into the teenageriness of the Ninja Turtles. We get from the book, not just how hyper detailed everything is, but how incredibly thoughtful everything is from like the stickers uh, on the nunchucks and everything. Like, can you talk a little bit about building that teen aesthetic? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, uh, we, we just like, you know, we have these teenage voice actors. We were leaning into the teenage aspect, which was really interesting to me because I think as a kid growing up with it, I, I had this like distorted view of what a teenager was based on uh, the way the Ninja Turtles were <laughs> uh, uh, performed. Uh, so I, uh, uh, we, we were trying to find like a, like a visual North Star for the film in the way that like Spider-Verse wanted to make a movie look like a living comic book where like, what's, what's us? Ninja Turtles has been comics, it's been a TV series, it's been a live action movie, like what is our thing? And we picked uh, teenage drawings, like the sketches you do when you're uh, 15, 16 years old and you haven't had formal art training yet and you don't have that voice in your head that says, like, that's not, that's not how you draw that. We just wanted to, to keep it alive and expressive. Does that re resonate with anybody else on the panel? Yes, yeah, Sarah. I have a question for you, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, first of all, my teenage self I'm 37 too, so, yeah, but nice. at the same time, yes, twins. Yeah. So, I'd like to thank you for making Donatello an anime fan, because I never would have guessed that it came. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was in the and I, I heard him make that reference to like, guys, I've got an anime club here. Look, it's Attack on Titan. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I, I just, so, I have to ask you, sir. Yes. Is that an Evangelion Unit 1? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The rat, I love that. Well, yeah, no, they're based on, like, the plastic, yeah, that little, like, punched <laughs> out, yeah. solid orange color, yeah. I recognized it immediately. Oh, amazing. Awesome. Here we have some fan faves. We've got Bebop and Rocksteady. And it must be a thrill to tackle these icons. Jeff, did you have any, like, guideposts or any, like, rules for yourself for how far from the original characters you could take your interpretations? Not really. I think we just wanted to really push it to be as far as possible. And there's things like if you look at like Baby Bebop and Baby Rocksteady here, like we like I saw those drawings and they made me laugh inside. I'm like they're so funny and silly and, and like great. Why change it? Why try to make it better or make it more 
cute. Like it got, uh, uh, it elicited a genuine uh, emotional reaction. So it's like, let's just commit to the thing that uh, sparks uh, when, when we see it. You know, it's one of the things I just want to point out too that one of the many things that you um, uh, took story-wise and evolved that you and Seth and, and Evan and you, as you, the team, the writers that brought it together, like just doing something so cool as making them all from the same mutagen batch. Oh yeah. It just created this whole different vibe that I just loved. It was sort of like because we, you know, added mutants later because we, you know, it's the way it was developed. But so that's a great scene, and they sort of first meet all the rest of the mutants. It's like. Oh my God! There's more of us. It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, we're, we're, we're family. We're, we're related, cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, you, Ron. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really wonderful things that you added to the story. You built on the story. You really went in, staked your claim, took your favorite bits, and and took it further than you know um, I would ever imagine. And it was just brilliantly, perfectly wonderful. And, Thank you so much. So it's great to hear that Kevin loves it. But like when when you were putting it together and you were you know deviating here and there with the turtles, I mean, did you have some stress about presenting it to oh, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. It was terrifying. I've been there. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying outside. Like I would have been so sad if you didn't like it. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad uh, it made you proud. Thanks, bro. And Kevin, there was no nerves about seeing how this would deviate? I mean, you've been through some several reimaginings, but... The Archie comics, by the way, are wild <laughs> and wonderful. Well, you know, for us, we were lucky. You know, we grew up in a, a world of comics, the kind of stuff we were reading. Um, yeah. You know, you'd have, say, a writer, a writer and artist that was working on Batman. You know, they would do a run for, you know, say, 12 issues or whatever, and there'd be a new writer and artist coming on and, and taking it further down the road. So you're used to seeing... Different people adapt um, comics that we were reading, what we enjoyed differently. Some you like more, some you like a little less. With the Turtles um, universe, we were very lucky from the from the go. We had the original black and white comics, which was Peter and I's original version. Then when we worked on the um, animated series, we were able to adapt them specifically how we wanted to see them. So I felt like we had this multiverse before it was a you know, there was multiverses long before Turtles had multiverses, and they're more prevalent now. But we had, you know, the black and white comics, we had the animated, and then we put, you know, Steve Barron and Jim Henson's movie in the middle, and that was kind of a middle of both. But I love to see um, what other people, um, that's my favorite part of working with other people creatively, what they see in your ideas, places you never imagine. They look at it from a different angle. And Tom, you know, he was saying he's been there. When he presented the first idea for the new IDW Universe series, and he brought up this, um, this uh, reincarnation idea, I said, you know, First thing fans gonna do is gonna poop a purple Twinkie six. <laughs> but I said if they love it and embrace it the way I what I see what you're doing with the series, you picked bits and pieces from different universes that you loved about turtles and you're leaning more you know, on the, the two thousand series and put that into what worked. And uh, um, no, so to me this is just um, it's the best. The journey's been so amazing, so awesome, so incredible to see that, you know, something like Mutant Mayhem, uh, Resonate so well with so many fans. I, people come to the movie and they go like, "Did you like the movie?" And I'm like, "No, what a what a what a treat!" And, it's, uh, and I can't wait to see where you guys are taking it next. I know you're gonna you got you got more in store for us all for me and Mayhem Universe. So. I also can't wait to see where we're taking it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're figuring that one out. Um, Jeff, is it like totally wild that there are now action figures? of your characters being played with by children, but also 
hoarded by 40-year-olds like myself. <laughs> it brings me so much joy uh, to, to, see, to like walk into a Target. And it just gives me a little bit of the feeling that I had when I was like a kid and the, the first live action movie came out and they were just everywhere. And, it's, it's, and, and I think that's like where I first discovered them was like in the toy aisle. Before I ever saw them on TV, before anything else, I was just like on a shelf at like a Toys R Us I was like, what is this weird, wonderful, beautiful, amazing thing? I have to have it, and I have to have everything on the back of this box. It's so cool. Uh, and, and to hopefully recreate that experience of wonder for, for kids today is, uh, is, is really exhilarating. And no, it's funny, I have to add to that. When Peter and I first, the toys first came out in 1988, we didn't actually believe they were going to be in the toy store. So we, we, went, down to, so we went down to Springfield, down to KB Toys, um, um, which was the, the chain at the time. And so as we're walking to, to the back of the store, to the action figure section, just as we arrived there, this mom is dragging this young boy out of the aisle saying, no, I'm not buying you one of those stupid Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what are we doing? Fast forward to uh, the summer when you know, the movie came out. I was like, it's funny, I was going into Target. <laughs> in San Diego for socks. And a couple of turtle fans are coming out and they had bags of the new toys. And they go, did you come to get the toys? I'm like, I didn't know they were out. <laughs> Beeline, the action figure out. He was looking, he was looking for turtle socks. <laughs> this was the literal best and we cannot believe it's already time to wrap it up. I'm like so full of turtle love right now. Can we... The fastest thing we've ever done, zip down the row one more time, especially for our artists who are tabling and share your tables one more time. Oh. Le we can go left to right. Yeah. Or, or right to F12 for the escort. F12. 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 A4 for Van Bishop. G26 for Sarah Meyer. H20. Uh, AO3, I just want to say real quick, last year at this panel, I was sitting in the back of the room, so this has been Yay! awesome. Woo! still there are you still listening <laughs> have you made it to the outro congratulations again massive thanks to the panelists for really bringing it to that conversation huge round of applause for greg katzman for yes, setting everything up you. and for setting us on the path to success 
Thank you to IDW, Nickelodeon, and Paramount for allowing us to moderate. It truly was a thrill and an honor, and we're just we just want to do it all over again. It was so fun. And thanks to everyone who showed up to that yeah. panel. It was a packed house, and as you can hear, they were really engaged with the conversation. And afterwards, several of them came up to us and thanked us throughout the whole day, which yeah. was uh, crazy and wonderful. I love thinking about the Ninja Turtles in terms of essentiality. Like, what has to be in a Ninja Turtle story to make it a Ninja Turtle mm -hmm, story? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do they have to live in secret? Do they have to be ninjas? Do they have to be brothers? You know, like, all of those things. Do they have to be male? Do they have to be whatever? And what I... And, and then, of course, I turn it on myself. Like, what is essential to make mm. me me like mm. what about me can you take away and i would still be the same person like i would love to think that i need everything about me to me to be me i need brad gullickson i need <laughs> comic book couples counseling i need to have pretended i was allergic to chocolate all the way for for third grade just so i could get special attention i think like all of those little details are that me. stopped by the way <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allergic to chocolate. I I just I just needed a little like I just wanted to feel special. But that but, was the thing you did when you were in elementary school. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like for me, I think the lesson I take from the Ninja Turtles is a lot of the things that you cling to that make you yourself are actually ephemeral. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the thing that makes you you is beautiful and ineffable and simpler than we give it credit for in like a beautiful like a beautiful simplicity. I love that. And it will cause me to look inward and go like, well, what is essential about Brad Gullickson? When talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what's essential to them for me might be different than what it is for somebody else. Yes. Which is also what makes it exciting in the course of all these various adaptations is like we all have our favorite turtles just the way that we all have our favorite interpretations of Batman and Superman and the like right and they're all valid I, and I, I think for me it's really simple regarding the Ninja Turtles uh, it's in the title mm -hmm. <laughs> teenagers the mutants and ninjas and turtles like <laughs> but mutant mayhem they're not really ninjas. Well, I mean, it, it's a little different. It, they, they, the, the word ninja there is more malleable, is more flexible in the mutant mayhem world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think they break it. I think they bend that word, but they don't break it mm. for me. Might not be the case <laughs> for some others, but that's what's exciting about the conversation, right? Yeah. So next week, we kick off November with two episodes. We have our ultimate Jana and the Impossible Monsters conversation with Laura and Chris Somney. We get into every detail of that book. On Halloween, on the 31st, the new deluxe hardcover from Oni Press is out. You need to pick it up. There's a quote on the back from Comic Book Couples Counseling. And it's an amazing collection. And it's the best presentation of that story so far. It's literally a treasure. And you need to read it because we are going to spoil the whole thing in that episode. That episode operates like our Dan Slott conversation around Silver Surfer or our conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson about Do a Powerbomb. It's we dissect the whole thing. Then... 
Following on the heels of that episode, we will have a conversation with Juni Ba talking about his new book from TKO, Mobilis, My Life with Nemo, which is absolutely one of the best original graphic novels of the year, and we will be talking about it in our best of episodes for sure. And if you have not been going to the Comic Book Couples Counseling website, I really want to encourage you to do so. We've dropped several interesting articles this past week. We talked to Todd McFarlane about the 10 best Spawn comics. Yes, Todd McFarlane gave us his 10 best Spawn comics, and they are probably not the books that you think they are. And we had a conversation with Howard Chaikin and Michael Stradford talking about the new Fargo adaptation, and we had a conversation with James Tinian IV and Mark Martin Simmons talking about their new Skybound series, Dracula, done in partnership with Universal Pictures. And that book is rad. Dracula sucks blood. And do you know what also sucks, Brad? What? what? The fact that we have to end this episode. Okay. I wish it could go on forever, but it can't. Other yeah. people have other things to do. Okay. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me and my Orcs in Space profile pic on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, we'd really appreciate it. Why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You look like you're waiting to say something. And I'm going to say this forever. Cowbugger. Oh, <laughs> you did it anyway. Open a little bonus. Yeah. I'm a cheater, Lisa. I'm a cheater. Oh, you better not be. You're my spouse. Not in that way. Ooh. Lisa, what's your <laughs> referral? Am I going first? Yeah. Are we keeping that? Yeah. <laughs>